0: You're listening to audio from Harden Baptist Church. For more audio content or other information about our church, please visit HardenBaptist.org. How many of you, by show of hands, know that it's sweet to trust in Jesus? Anybody? Anybody? Like, like I, th- I think most of us probably in this room, uh, or at least you came with somebody who knows it's good to trust in Jesus. But you know, there's, there's a difference in knowing that and remembering that. And what I want to just kind of submit to you is sometimes the most important thing is not what you know, it's what you remember. And I'll give you some examples. Our first parents knew God is creator, They knew that because God breathed in them like breath of life. They saw him. They walked with him. They knew God is the creator of all of this. Yet in a moment when a serpent is tempting them, they forgot that he's the creator and he's in charge. See, they knew it, but they forgot it. Think about the Israelites, the people of God, right? God rescues them from Egypt. They are his people. They saw him do mighty works. Yet how many times do they forget who he is and what he's done? See, it wasn't a lack of knowing. They knew and they believed, but they didn't remember Think about the disciples. They're walking with Jesus. They've seen who he is. They know he's walked on water. He's done miracles, rose people from the dead. Yet on his trial, they know this, but they don't remember it. They all abandon him. And what about you and me? Like think about this week. How many of you this week, you knew God is creator. You knew Jesus is Lord. But yet in those moments of decision, those moments in your life, those moments you were at home with your spouse, those moments you were trying to untangle that with your kids, those moments at work, did you remember God is creator? Did you remember that Jesus is king? It's not just enough to know these things. We have to remember these things in our life and live in accordance with those. That's what it means to live a God-centered life. You don't just know that God is real. You just know that God exists. You remember it in those moments in your life. You remember who the Lord is. And that's what Solomon is going to try to get us to do as we're nearing the end of Ecclesiastes. We're going to end it next week. But here we're just going to see this call for us to remember our creator. If you have your Bibles, let's go to Ecclesiastes chapter 12 is where we're going to read as we stand, and then we're going to look at 11 and 12 together. So if you'd stand out of reverence for the word of God, the words to be on the screen. Here's what we see, Ecclesiastes chapter 12. Remember also your creator in the days of your youth before the evil days come and the years draw near of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that you would help us to do one simple thing today, and that is to remember. To remember that you, are, that you are our creator. And as we remember that, we then live in light of that. We pray this in Christ's good name. Amen. You guys may be seated. So good news today, we've got three points rather than 17 points. So if you came last week, we only got three. We'll put them on the screen. Here's the three big ideas, the three big points as we think about um, today. So we have the idea of investing. Can we put those on the screen? The three points? Rejoicing and then remembering. So just three things. Like we all can get that. So I said only leave with a few. I want you to leave with all of these today. Okay, so take all three of these at home. But in light of who God is, in light of what he's done... We are going to invest, we are going to rejoice, and we are going to remember. We're going to do all of those things in light of God as our creator. So we're going to invest our work, we're going to enjoy our lives, and we're going to remember God as creator. So we're nearing the end, he's going to remind us of some things, challenge us with some things, but the first one is this idea of investing our work. If you look in chapter 11, verse 1, here's what it says. Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Give a portion to seven or even to eight, for you do not know the disaster may happen on the earth. So the first thing we're going to see is to invest boldly and wisely. So he says, Cast your bread among the waters. Now, how many, when you read this in your daily readings, you had no idea what that meant? Anybody? I had no clue. I'm reading, I'm like. Cast your bread upon the waters. To me, what that meant is when we go to Green Turtle Bay with the kids to visit Grammy and Pappy, they have a boat at Green Turtle Bay, and to cast our bread upon the waters mean you're feeding turtles. We get a loaf of bread, we pinch it, we throw it in the water. So if I told my kids, hey kids, cast your bread upon the waters, they're like, are we feeding turtles? So that's what I thought. But I'm thinking, surely Solomon's not telling us to go feed the turtles. So what does cast your bread among the waters mean, well, there's different interpretations. So my D group this week, uh, one of my guys actually sent Spurgeon's um, understanding of what this meant. And so to Spurgeon, it meant uh, if you were an Egyptian, what you do is you would cast your seed among the Nile River, you would throw seed in the Nile, and that seed would then get buried into the soil, and as it overflows in the banks, and then it goes back to its normal um, place, all of that seed would get in the soil, and you would have a crop. So this idea of like, sow your seeds among uh, the waters, and that's how you harvest, that's how you have a crop. Um, I'm not sure, I hate to argue with Spurgeon, but I I don't know that that's the right interpretation because most modern scholars would think of it like Philip Reinke, for example. This idea of casting your, it's not seed, it's casting your bread among the waters. So what does it mean to cast your bread? Bread is like your product. Bread is what you have baked, what you have produced. And to cast it among the waters would be put it on merchant ships that are then going to sell it. So this idea of you are first investing boldly. So you're gonna, you have a product, you have something you've made, you have some bread. You're actually putting it on a ship, and the reason you put it on the ship is because you know that that cargo ship's gonna take it somewhere. They're gonna sell it, and then it's gonna be brought back to you, and there's a profit. So you're casting your bread among the waters. You're you're making an investment. You're taking a chance. Now it's a little scary because it's it's your bread. And you have it. And to cast it among the waters is to give it to someone else, to invest it, to to do something with it. But then the point is, if you do that, it's most likely going to come back a great return. But notice, we don't only invest boldly, we invest wisely. Because right after cast your bread among the waters, it says, give a portion to seven or even to eight, for you know not what disaster may happen on the earth. Now, he seems to be implying that don't put all of your bread on one chip. Like if you have a bunch of bread, don't be like, oh, the Titanic, that looks like a good boat. I'm gonna put it all in the Titanic. And then it's gonna come back at a profit. Well, the Titanic sank. So that wouldn't have been a good investment. So it's the idea of like diversifying your investments. Put them on multiple ships because you don't know if one ship's gonna fall and one's gonna make it. But if you have multiple things going, there's probably gonna be a profit and it's probably gonna come back. And so you want to invest both boldly and wisely. It's idea of like in our lives, actually doing things and producing things and then taking a chance with those things. Casting your bread upon the waters means you're taking a risk, but the risk is often worth the reward. And there's more risk of not doing anything with it. Do you remember Jesus when he talked about, um, you had these servants that all had 10 minas and this would have been a portion of money. And this uh, guy left him with this portion of money, and then he left, and he comes back, and he asks the servants, hey, what'd you do with all the money? And one guy invested it, had like a, a big fold. Another guy invested had a, had a little fold. And then it got to the last one, and he says, I was so afraid of you. I didn't invest any of it. I just kept it, but here's all 10 back. And the master's like, you failed. I didn't want 10 back. I wanted you to invest it. I want you to try something, to take a risk, to do something so that you could have a profit. But see, sometimes when we invest, it's actually risky because we don't know if there's going to be a reward to it, but it's idea of like God wants us in this life to take a little bit of risk. Like, 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 we know that he's good. We know he's got the world in his hands so that we, in light of that, can take a risk and make some endeavor. So perhaps you're, you're setting on something. You have an idea. You have a thought. You have a creation. You have something you want to do, but you're like, ah, it's too risky. I just don't know about starting that or doing that. Like, I feel like this is what God wants me to do, and he's pulling me towards it. But there's all the reasons why I should say no. And Solomon might be coming to you today and say, hey, why don't you cast it upon the waters? Why don't you try and do that thing and see what happens? Because it might be the thing that God has actually called you to. It might be the thing that God wants you to do to bless the world and to bless his name. So cast your bread upon the Lord. It means to, so we're investing, we're we're taking a chance. It's bold, but it's also wise. In other words, don't like think about, okay, for my retirement, I'm going to put it all in crypto. It's a great idea. Just all of my retirement going in crypto and then, all of a sudden that ship may or may not float, like who knows, right? Or like you get old and you lose your password and you're like, oh, that's not good. Like don't do all in one ship, that's the point there. Like diversify, have, have some different option because you don't know which one's going to work, but the point is don't just sit back and do nothing, like take a step as an image bearer of God and do something for the glory of God and see what he could do through you for the world, So cast your bread among the waters. Invest boldly, but also invest wisely. And the second thing, when it comes to investing, if you're going to do something, okay, the second rule is to not look at your weather app. That's what he's going to say. Just don't even check the thing it will not lead to a productive life. Stop checking the weather app. Here's what we see in verse 3. If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth and if a tree falls to the south or to the north in the, or to the north, in the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. In other words, nature's happening, rains falling, trees are falling, and you can't do really anything about it. So you have no control over a lot of things. So in light of that, what should you do? Verse 4. He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who, got, he who regards the clouds will not reap. So the one who's looking at the clouds and thinking, okay, the wind and the clouds, should we plant today and should we reap today? Well, let me go check my weather app is basically what you're doing. And so let me check the weather and see what's going to happen. And that's going to determine whether I do something or not today. And what Solomon advises, hey, stop checking the weather app and just go do that thing. Like me and my dad learned this the hard way. And especially like midway through last season, we're like, can we just agree not to check the weather? Because every morning we would get up, we'd look at the weather and we're like, "Ah, oh, it's going to rain today. We better stay home. And then guess what it did that day? It didn't rain. And then we'd check the next day. Hey, son, we go out and guess what happens? It rains. Like, I want to be like a meteorologist. Like, it's a really cool job. You predict the future, and every time it comes wrong, nobody says, and they're like, well, I guess nature's kind of crazy, right? Like, it's a good gig. But so you have this weather app that you're checking, that you're thinking, okay, I'm making plans. If everything is perfect, then I'm going to do that thing. And Solomon says, never be perfect. And if you always try to do when things are perfect, you will never do. So if you're watching the winds and you're watching the clouds, two things are going to happen. You're never going to sow, and you're never going to harvest. See, we want to wait for that perfect moment. We want to wait when everything is right and we have the guarantee and it all looks good and everyone is saying yes. And if you wait for those to come true, they never will. And you'll be paralyzed in fear, not faith, and you will never do anything. You'll never step out into what God might actually want you to do with your life because it's always about safety. It's always about protection. It's always about planning. It's never actually producing. It's never planting and harvesting. So what Solomon would say is quit looking at the app and go plant something and then go harvest something. And when it rains, then you can stop. When the winds are too strong, then you can stop. But instead of always trying to figure out the perfect moment to do that thing God's calling you to do, why not do it now? And if things change, do something else. But like step out right now. So when it comes to investing, we say that we need to stop looking at our weather app. And then when it comes to investing, you're going to work because God works. You're going to work because God is working. Notice what it says in verse 5. As you do not know the way the Spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. In the morning sow your seed, and at evening withhold not your hand, for you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. So notice three times it says, you don't know. Like three times in like two verses, So Solomon is trying to get you to see, hey, guess what? You don't know. So if you think you know, you probably don't know. So there's a few things that you don't know. Uh, The first thing he says we don't know is we don't even know the way of the spirit, how it comes in the bones in the womb of a woman with child. So he's going to like that day when we were in our mother's womb. If if you see um, a lady with a baby bump, like, there, there's a lot going on there that is a mystery to us, especially to the ancient people that Solomon is writing to. Like they wouldn't have had ultrasounds. They're not seeing inside the womb. So there's a whole lot of mystery, and then out pops a baby. It's like, whoa, that was crazy. He's like, yeah, you don't even know like the pre-birth stuff. And here we are, like 21st century, like we still like have disagreements about, okay, is that life? Is it not life? Like what's happening in the womb? Like, we're still tangled up in mystery, but here he's saying, hey, the spirit is clearly in the womb, in the bones. We don't know all that happens. There's a mystery to it, and there's an unknowing to it, but we know that it happens. We also are unsure, then, of the work of God. So we don't know all the stuff of a baby. We also don't know all of the work of God, but here's what we know. God is working. So we don't know all of his work, but here's what we know. We know he's working. So what should that lead us to do? Because we, we, because we don't know. We don't know uh, baby. We don't know all of God's work. So what should we do then well, In the morning you should sow your seeds and the evening you should put your hand to the work? Why? Because you don't know what's going to prosper this or that. In other words, because you don't know doesn't mean you shouldn't do Because you don't know means you should trust God and do. Like you don't know what God's doing, but you know he's doing something. Therefore, in your unknowing, you should be able to do something knowing that God is up to something. And if you will take a step, make a move, that he can use your life and your work for his glory. Like the point is, you don't know, so go do. Now, I remember when we were in college, when I was in college several years ago, um, like 20 years ago there was a book that came out by kevin DeYoung, and it was called just do something and it was a great book and it's the book that we needed because when i was in college you know we were like all in theology and like the sovereignty of god we were reading piper like we just love to think about how god is sovereign he's in control of all things like this is awesome but it also it left us, it left us paralyzed Because if God is sovereign, if He's in control of all things, if His will is what's supposed to take place, then then what if I step right and He wants me to go left? What if I choose her and He wants me to choose her? I mean, that would be awkward, right? Like, what if I married the wrong wife? Like, that would be really bad. So, okay, God, you're in control, you're sovereign, it's your will. So, therefore, I'm not gonna do anything because I don't wanna mess up the will of God. So, God is sovereign. I don't want to mess up his will, which by the way is like the opposite of him being sovereign, right? If he's sovereign, you can't mess up his will. That makes him sovereign, not you. But we were, we were paralyzed. We didn't know what to do. How do you know the will of God? You, you pray a lot and you stop a lot and you wait a lot. And when we ended up, we're like 30 on our couch thinking like, I don't know what to do. And so Kevin DeYoung came along and said, um, I've got an idea. Just do something. Do that. If you're 30 on your couch, trying to find the will of God by prayer and fasting, walk upstairs. Go outside and go do something. And you just might discover what God has for you. See, the problem is we don't know. Solomon is saying that. Hey, you don't know. You still don't know. But you know what you should do? And you're not knowing, go plant something. Go work something. Go do something. Put your hand to something. Try something. Go be challenged by something. Like, I love the How I Built This podcast. It's one of my favorites because it's like all these entrepreneurs who had this crazy idea and it goes through their, like, terrible struggle. It's never going to happen. And all of a sudden, like, it all comes together and something is built that helps the world. We need more believers who are saying, you know, there's a problem with the world, and I think I've got an idea, but I'm so afraid to mess it up, that we just step out and we go and we build something that benefits our neighbor, that helps the world, and is for the glory of God. I think like Solomon is saying, hey, when it comes to, if you know that we live in a broken world, but God is creator, if you know that you don't know everything, but he's still working, then Invest. Invest boldly and wisely, like take a risk, but don't make it all risk. But as you do, like go, don't wait, do something. And in your unknowing, try something. Because you know that God is working and he wants you to work under his work. So connect your work to his and go do something for the glory of God. So he first wants us to invest. Invest your work because God wants to use your work for his glory and the good of your neighbor. That's what your work is for. That's what it's created in the garden to do, to help your neighbor and to glorify God. So find something, do something, put your hand to something and see if that might be the thing God has for you. The second thing he wants to do is to rejoice. So not just to invest, but to rejoice. We're gonna see this um, in uh, verse seven. If you look with me, it says this. Light is sweet and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun, so if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in all of them, but let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. So we're going to first rejoice in age. And you're like, well, I've got some age, and I don't think it's that rejoicing, right? But Solomon's going to say, hey, if you got some gray hair, if you're um, on the older spectrum, here's what you need to do. Rejoice in your age. It's actually a good thing. Like, I don't know about that. Well, this is Solomon, and he's probably an old man on a rocking chair, writing to some young people, writing to his people to say, hey, rejoice in age. And you know why he says to rejoice in age? He says, light is sweet and is pleasant to the eyes to see the sun. Man, each day is, is sweet. Each day is good. And the older you get, the more you sort of savor those days. And that's what he's trying to get you to do. Hey, as you get older... Like savor each day as a gift from the Lord, as something that is sweet and good. As you walk outside and you feel the sunshine, just bask in it for a little bit. You remember when you were young and you just ran, ran, ran? Well, now you're older and you, don't, you can't run as much and you don't need to run as much. You don't have as much to run too. So how about you just enjoy that sweetness a little bit? How about you just go outside and go for a walk? for? A little? How about you just enjoy his creation, enjoy those days and notice if a person lives many years this is this is the age If a person lives many years let him rejoice in them all let him rejoice in them all it's the idea of when when you're in that rocking chair moment maybe you're on your front porch your back porch and you're just sort of you're, you're in old age and you're just looking back he says rejoice in all those days rejoice in all those years And the truth is, there's been some troubled years. The truth is, there's been some pain. There's some things you've went through, but he wants you to reflect and remember it's not all been bad. It's not all been tragic. The Lord has actually been kind to you. He's been good to you. His grace has found you. You have a lot to be thankful for. So when you look in old age, don't just be grumpy about life. Man, celebrate it. Look back, enjoy, rejoice, think about all those things the Lord has done and the Lord has given you. But it's not without like real knowledge of how the world works because he says, as you rejoice, but let him remember that the days of darkness will be many, all that comes in vanity. So it's not like you're optimistic and not thinking about real life. Yeah, you know, days are coming. You know, hard time is coming. You know that old age is not all great. But rejoice at the years that the Lord has given you. Rejoice in the days and the things and the moments and the memories. And take each day as that precious gift, knowing that, hey, trouble is coming and trouble is going to come and it has come. But right now, if you've got breath and life, rejoice. Be happy in that old age. And then we're going to see the idea of rejoicing in youth. And you're like, oh, that's a little easier. I remember those days. <laughs> I was a little happier. He's going to say, rejoice in our youth. Notice what he says in verse 9. He says, rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes, but know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. Remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body, for youth and the dawn of life are vanity. So it's a little bit difficult to maybe untangle what Solomon is saying. I'd love to have me like, hey, Solomon, can we ask a follow-up question? You're telling youth to just do whatever they want? That seems a little dangerous. So he says, hey, rejoice, youth, in your youth, and hey, follow your heart. Like, do whatever your heart wants, do whatever your eyes see. And so does that mean like, hey, YOLO, you only live once? Like, go get it. Just have fun, and hopefully it all work out. Is that what he's challenging youth to do? Hey, youth, just go get life. Don't worry about anything. Well, that's clearly not what he's saying, because he says, hey, remember, as you live your life in your youth, that judgment is coming. So whatever you do, there's going to be a judgment. So he's not saying, hey, go sin all you want. He's saying, um, live a youthful life, but... Know that you're going to be judged for those things that you do. So so what is he trying to say when he says rejoice in your youth? Rejoice in in the pleasure of your heart, those things that you see, those things that you do. I think just real practically, he's saying to youth, hey, these years are good years. Enjoy them. And for us who are older, we're like, yeah, that is true. Enjoy them. So so it's, it's in the idea of all three of my sons are playing basketball right now. And so I've got elementary basketball, I've got sixth grade basketball, and I've got eighth grade basketball, and then my eighth grade plus on the high school team as well. So every night of the week, I'm at a ball game, like I'm at a gym somewhere. And at these moments, when I see... My one of my sons take the court and play and I can see that they're they're able to run up and down the court like all day long and never get tired and they can shoot and they can play and they're athletic and I'm thinking if I was out there I would be dead right now because what they're in the prime of their life and I'm not and so in a sense I want to say to my kids hey enjoy this Because these moments, this eighth grade basketball season, this is a precious moment. Don't overlook it. Don't wish past it. This is a moment that you're going to remember. This is a good moment. Guess what? There's a lot of people showing up to watch you. Enjoy that. Because one day you're going to play church league ball, and it's going to be fun, but like three people are going to show up. And after like two runs down the court, you're like, okay, let's just agree not to play defense. Can we, just, can we play half court, anybody? Like, it's going to be different. Your body's not going to work the same. So right now, like in your life, enjoy things. Like just a couple years ago, we took back wakeboarding. And so in college, we used to wakeboard a lot, absolutely loved it, one of my favorite things to do. And so two years ago, um, mom and dad got a boat, so we have a wakeboard now. So we're like back on wakeboarding, and so we're trying to, you know, get back in the rhythm of things, but, you know, I'm 38 at this point, I'm 40 now, or I will be uh, in a few months, but at this point I'm 38, two years ago, and I remember what my 20-year-old self used to do. And things just don't quite work all the same, and we didn't really notice it until we start inviting uh, college students to come and try to learn wakeboarding. So we would teach them how to wakeboard. And whenever they got up on the wakeboard, we would pull them and we're like, this is strange. We're like going through a song and then another song and then another song. And we're like, why have they not let go? Like, how are, they, how are they still? And all of us are like, oh yeah, that's what we used to do. We used to wakeboard like through playlists. Now we wake, wakeboard through like 20-second songs. Like we get up, we do one jump, it's like, okay, let go, okay. Oh, I'm good. Nope, I'm done. And then for three days, we can't walk. So I want to say to my college kids, like, hey, enjoy this. You can wakeboard through multiple songs. There will be a day where it's like, man, it's, 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 it's like 10 seconds, and then you're going to fall, and you're going to hurt for like three days. So enjoy vigor, enjoy life, enjoy youthfulness is what Solomon wants you to see that 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 is a gift that you have right now. Enjoy it, don't waste it. What would wasting it be? Wasting would be using it for things that would bring judgment upon yourself. So don't use it to live a sinful life. Use it to live a life for the glory of Christ. That you would be excited about just your youthfulness, but in your youthfulness, you would live a life to the glory of God because you know there is a judgment coming. You have a creator. Your youth is not just to sow your wild oats and do whatever you want. It's to live in light of eternity. But enjoy these moments because they're good. So if you're young in here, like enjoy your youth. Enjoy being young. Enjoy that you can just go outside and run around and you don't even think about it. When your mom and dad do that, we've well, seen us, Right? It hurts, and we stop, and we're like, okay, I'm done. Tag was fun for four seconds. Now I'm going to go sit down again. You're like, what's wrong? We're old. You're not. Enjoy that. Celebrate that, but enjoy it under God for the glory of God. And notice, he even says, for us to remove vexation from our hearts and to put away pain from our bodies. Think just a real, like, he's given us permission to, hey, to deal with those issues in life that might be toxic for us or painful for us. Like, it's okay to seek to get rid of those bad things in our lives. So maybe for you, like, there's some tangled issues. Maybe you need to go to counseling. Maybe you need to just um, have a little bit of better diet or exercise. Like, maybe you need to do something to alleviate some of the pain that you're feeling. That's, that's an okay thing because God has given you life and he wants you to live it to the fullest. But then he kind of clears it with, hey, but at the end of the day, youthfulness and the dawn of life, It's vanity. Like, you can try to alleviate pain and whatever, but eventually it's going to catch up. So enjoy your youth, but know it's a fleeting gift. And one day you will rejoice over a different rejoicing. You'll rejoice on the chair at all the memories you had. So just know what season you're in and how to rejoice. So we have invest, rejoice, and now we're going to end at remember. He's going us to remember, and this is really important, to remember... Notice what he says in verse 1 of chapter 12. Remember also your creator. So he's been speaking to the youth. Hey, um, um, enjoy youthfulness. Enjoy that you can work out and nothing hurts. Enjoy that you still remember things. (laughs) Like, enjoy your youth, but know there's judgment and remember your creator. So I want to think about that, that line for just a second. Remember your creator. What does it mean to remember your creator? It's, it's different than just to know your creator. Like to know God is creator, that's one thing. But to remember God is creator, it means in those actual moments in your life, when it comes to decision, when it comes to how you live, what you love, how you treat your spouse, how you treat your kids, how you are at work, how you spend your money, how you give your time, that's a remembering act. And what are we supposed to remember? That God is creator. And what does that mean for us? It means we are not. Like, here's a really important thing for you to remember that God is creator, you are creation. That's a huge distinction. That means he is in charge, you are not. That means he is king, you are not. That means he sets the rules, you don't. He leads, you follow. He says, you obey. He is great, you worship. That would it means for him to be creator, you to be creation. He is eternal, you are finite, you are momentary, you are temporal. You are a vis, you are a vapor, you are vanity. He is the one true living God. So what does it mean to remember our creator? I think it means to live a God-centered life. That if you remember your creator, you will live a God-centered life. That in everything you do this week, you will live it under God for God. Because you remember, I'm, I'm created. I'm made in the image of God to reflect his glory to all the people around me. Like that's why God made me. He made me as an image bearer of God to spread his glory to every person I come in contact with. So as an image bearer of God, I'm a created being. So I get to reflect my creator. I get to live under him and worship him and live for him and love him. That's what my life is about. That's what remembering your creator means. Not just you know it, but you remember it this week. And why should we remember it in our youth? I mean, notice what he says in verse 12. Remember also your creator in the days of your youth. So he wants you to remember that God is creator in your youth. When you're young, So why is that? Why should we remember our creator in the days of our youth? So if you're like in elementary or middle school or high school or college, this sermon is kind of to you. So if you're like zoned out, like lock in, God has some things to say to you in your youth. Remember your creator in the days of your youth. Why? Because of this. Before the evil days come and the years draw near, which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. So we remember our creator in the days of our youth before the evil days come. What are the evil days? That's going to be old age and death. Old age and death are coming. And so he's saying, remember your creator in your youth because old age and death are coming. And in those older years, desire and pleasure are going to wane. Like right now as a youth, like desire and pleasure, they're like ramped up. Like desire and pleasure, like what are you going to do? How are you going to dream? Where are you going to go? The world looks great. Everything is awesome. And then when you get a little older, everything is not so awesome. Everything is kind of broken and tragic. And you see the world, you see people, you're hurt, you're jaded. Desire, pleasure, all those things kind of wane a little bit. And you just get really hard and grumpy. And he's saying it's a lot harder to turn to your creator when you're grumpy and callous. Than when you are young and seeking after life, like when you're young and seeking after life, you're, you're wanting to find something and God is saying, I'm here to be found. Like I'm here to fulfill all those desires and all those pleasures. Come to me and you will never thirst anymore. There's a point in life, Solomon saying, that you just don't care anymore. You just sort of give up and you're like, eh, life's not all that it is. He says, don't wait to that point to learn God is your creator. Instead, learn it in your youth that God is creator. Pursue him in your youth. Why is that so important? Because we're going to see that aging, it's first like a, it's like a storm. It's like a gathering storm that's coming. Here's what we see in verse uh, two, before the sun. So remember your creator, okay, before your pleasure runs out. Now it's before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain. So remember your creator before this storm comes. And so he's going to talk about old age. He's going to talk about like a storm and then like a house. And the first one is like a storm. And he says, eventually in your old age the the moon and the stars and the sun they're not gonna be as bright as they were they're gonna they're gonna lose their brightness they're gonna they're gonna fade you're not gonna be able to see them as well and there's gonna be these clouds that are coming and it's like this, this storm that is gathering around your life and the storm is getting ready to rain and he says why not turn to God when the sun is shining why not turn to God when you're when you're filled with life don't wait till those last moments when the When the storm is gathering and the end of life is near, don't wait till then to turn to God. Do it right now as a young person that's filled with life. Remember your creator. Not only is a a storm gathering, but also the house is breaking. And what we see in this next section is rather sad. So I I just want to warn you. He's going to give this very vivid metaphor of a house. And it's a house that is not what it once was. It is a house that is broken down. It's a house that's dilapidated. It's a house that the paint's peeling off the walls. The the windows are letting a draft in. The door is squeaky. Things are falling in. It's one of those houses that it's boarded up. It used to be something grand, but now everything is changing. And what he wants us to see is that is our life. We are a house and eventually the house will fade. Eventually the house will break. Eventually the house will fall. So just notice how he gives this imagery in verse 3. In the day, so we're remembering God right before the storm, now before the house, because in that day when the keepers of the house tremble. So they're a keeper of this house, now they are trembling. And the strong men are bent. So you can see once these, these men were, were working in this house, they're on this farm, they're doing their chores, and now, well, they're bent over. They don't have the strength that they once had. And the strong men are bent, and the grinders cease because they are few. That once, this was a working farm, everything was going, there was production and activity, and now, well, no one's there to run the grindstone anymore. No no one's there to be productive anymore. What once was is no longer. And it says, and those who look through the windows are dimmed. Like, like, like there's, not a, there's not a seeing like it once was. Everything, everything is dim. There's not quite the light. And the doors on the street are shut when the sound of the grinding is low. And one rises up at the sound of a bird. And all the daughters of song are brought low. So you used to hear birds and laughter and singing. And now it's all, it, it's all sort of dying away. It's all getting, getting faint for this house they are afraid also of what is high and of terrors in the way. And the almond trees blossom. The almond trees would be white. So this picture of this, this white hair is happening, and the grasshopper drags itself along. Think about a grasshopper. Jumps and flies and active and goes, and now this grasshopper it's barely, it's it's barely able to, to move. It's dragging itself along. And he says, and desire fails. So it's a really sad image. It's this image of a beautiful farm, a beautiful house, everything is working, everything is great, and, and now you show up to the house some 50 years later and, or some 100 years later, and what once worked doesn't work no more. It's like Empire Farms in LBL. I used to go as a kid, and it was a working farm, and everything was great. Now you go over, and everything's falling in. Nothing works. Nothing is good. No, nothing is there. And he's saying, that's our lives. Like we start out as this fresh house with all this ambition and movement and doing. And then, well, eventually the house needs a remodel. And some of us are there. We're like in our, 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 our midlife. Like it's like remodel time, right? Like redo the cabinets, redo the floors. We're still good. But the two by fours, they're, 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 still, 20 years, they're still 40 years old. And they're still not what they were. And for some of us, it's the house is past remodel. The house is almost condemned. The house is almost falling in. And that's the imagery he's giving. He says, remember your creator before the house falls. Like like your life is like a house. It's eventually going to waste away. Whether you're young or whether you're old, eventually your house is going to waste away. So what do we do? We remember our creator why the house is still here. Because here's the last point. Death comes sudden. And death, it comes sudden. Notice what he says, because man is going to his eternal home and the mourners go about the streets before the silver cord is snapped or the golden bowl is broken or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain or the wheel is broken at the cistern and dust returns to the earth as it was and the spirit returns to the God who gave it. Vanity of vanity, says the preacher, all is Vanity. So he gives this picture of like there's, there's a gathering storm over your life. There's a fallen down house that is happening in your life, no matter if you're young or old, it's coming. And then all of a sudden there's gonna be that point to where there's mourners who are now mourning your life because you've passed. And he doesn't just say like one thing. He's not like, hey, the cord's gonna snap one day. He like goes on and on and on, like, Solomon, I get it. One day I'm gonna be like a bowl that's gonna crash. But he, on and on and on, like so many metaphors of like, hey, life is going to be going okay. There's going to be a grinding that's happening, like the wheel's turning, water is coming, and all of a sudden, the rope is just going to snap in an instant and everything's over. He's saying death is going to come, and it's going to come sudden, and it's something that you can't prepare for. It's something that you don't know when it's going to happen. It often just happens. And then the reverse of creation happens. Like remember creation where God took dust and breathed into us the nostrils of life and the dust became a living man? Well, after sin, that man is gonna now return to the dust. And he brings up that imagery that you're going back to dust and your spirit, which God gave you, it's going back to him. So notice, first we have the spirit in the womb. Now we have the spirit leaving the tomb. This both of the spirit in Ezekiel, or I'm sorry, in um, Solomon's writings, this idea that hey, what you were given at birth, what you were given inside of the womb, this spirit, the soul, it's going to go back to the Lord. Your life, it's always a gift, and it was always meant to come back to the one who gave it. That your life is from God and it belongs to God, and you are going back to God. So, in light of that, what should you do? Remember your Creator. Like, if that is true, if there's a gathering storm, there's a fallen house, and then all of a sudden death is coming, what should you do? You should remember your Creator. And remember God. And the idea is to remember when you're young, when you're in the prime of life, because there might be a point in your old years where you don't care enough anymore. You've just given up, and you don't even want the Lord anymore. But here's the good news, that that all of us right now, the cord hasn't snapped and the bowl is not broken. So no matter where you are in your house, if you're like brand new, renovation, or almost demo, like wherever you are, the cord has not snapped, the bowl is not broken, the cistern has not stopped turning, you are breathing this morning, but you don't know how long that's going to last. And that's what Solomon is trying to tell you. You don't know when the cord's gonna snap. You don't know when the bowl is gonna break. It's gonna happen sudden. So what should you do right now? Whether you're young or old, what should you do right now? You should remember your creator. Remember God. So what does that practically mean? Well, I think for you, if you're not a believer, what it means to remember God is to become a believer. Like to come to Christ is what it means to remember your creator. It's to repent and believe. To understand that I've tried to be creator and I've been a bad creator. I've been God and king and I've wrecked my life. I've sinned. Now I see that God is actually creator. He created me and I should live for him. And I need to repent and believe in what Christ did. Because Christ, my creator, became creation so that he could live the life I couldn't, die the death that I deserve, and then three days later, rise victorious over death, so that when I believe in him, I can have life past the grave. So I'm going to remember my creator in repenting and believing in Christ. Some of you need to do that this morning. Whether you're young or old, the cord has not snapped, the bowl is not broken, there is time right now, the house has not fallen, the storm has not yet broke. And for you, this morning, you need to Remember the Lord. Remember your creator. But for those of us who are believers, what we need to do this week is to remember our creator. Not just know that God created us, but to remember in the moments of life, in the decision point, when you go home, when you're at work, when you're at leisure, when you're on your computer, when you're on your phone, remember the Lord is your creator and you are creation and you are to live under him for him. Like remember that this week. Don't just know it, but remember it because remembering changes how we live remembering changes what we do so don't just know this week remember this week i want to close with a quote from one of my favorite theologians by the name of bono here's what bono lead singer of u2 says ecclesiastes is one of my favorite books it's a book about a character who wants to find out why he's alive why he was created. He tries knowledge. He tries wealth. He tries experience. He tries everything. You hurry to the end of the book to find out why. And it says, remember your creator. In a way, it's such a letdown. Yet, it isn't. I'm like I'm trying to get Ecclesiastes. I'm trying to find out what what does life mean? What's it about? What should I do? How should I live? And we get through this whole book, and at the end of it, it's kind of summarized. Here's what life's about: remember God is Creator. And you're like, that's it. Like 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 that that's the point. And you kind of come to that end to say, man, it seems like a letdown. And then you take a moment, you take a pause, and you let that sink in. And then all of a sudden, you're like, yet yeah, it isn't. That isn't a letdown. That actually is what life is all about. All of a sudden, you're like, really? That God is creator? That, that's all I got? That's all I got? The whole book to know this? And you realize it's not just all you got, but it's actually all You need. All you need is to remember God is creator. And if you do that, you will live a life for his glory in relationship with him. And your life will be full, whether you're young or whether you're old. So let's remember this week. Not just knowing and believing, but remembering. The Lord is my creator. And let us truly live that way. Let's pray. Father, we love you so much. We thank you for Christ. We thank you for the gospel. God, I pray if anyone in here doesn't know you, God, I pray that they would talk after service. They would go to the green wall. We have people that would love to meet with them, love to talk with them. God, I pray that this week that we would remember. It's not just all we got, it's all we need. And I pray that in remembering you, would live a life for your honor and your glory. We pray this in Christ's good name. Amen. You're listening to audio from Hardin Baptist Church. For more audio content or other information about our church, please visit hardinbaptist.org.